About two weeks ago or so, my wife sent me to Publix on a mission. Uh, this mission was to pick up uh, some prenatal vitamins uh, for her from at the pharmacy. And uh, so I got in the car because I, I'm like a, uh, you know, I'm a multitasker. So I get in the car. The first thing I do is I grab my phone and I call a friend of mine that I've needed to catch up with. And um, so I, I get to Publix and him and I are still talking. I grab, the, I grab a cart, which I don't know why because I'm only going to the pharmacy. But um, so then I just start kind of I'm walking around the store talking to him and I see something that I'm interested in. So I grab it. And by the way, my kids love it when I'm the one who does the shopping. Uh, because I buy the good stuff. I buy the sugar cereals, the ice cream, the chips, and other treats that we like. My wife buys, like, fruit, yogurt, and other nasty stuff that people say they like but don't really like. Um, well, anyway, so I start grabbing some stuff. I stop by the deli and the bakery to get some samples because I'm a firm believer that you should always have a nice meal with your shopping experience. And um, so, anyway, I, I'm there for about 10 minutes or so. I get to the, the cashier. And uh, I don't know how I did this. And I know I grabbed a few extra things. I bought myself my, my stash of Coke Zero that I always have. And, and then I bought a, um, uh, like, every once in a while, I'll buy, like, a glass thing, like one of those big glass things of bottled water. Um, and I'll get it nice and cold in the fridge. And then, because um, I'll do this for my daughter, because I'll, I'll, I'll get it out. And I like it too, but I'll get it out. And then I'll get two nice glasses, one for her and one for me. And then I'll pour it. And we call it fancy water at our house. And then, so it's one, like, if, it'll be at random. Like, she won't know. We'll have dinner ready, and I'll just pull out the one, and she'll say, oh, Poppy, tonight's fancy water? <laughs> yes, it is. And so, anyway, so I grabbed some fancy water. And anyway, I was there for 10 minutes, and I, and I somehow spent 75 bucks, and I still don't really know how that happened. But um, so I get the stuff home like a typical man. I get all the bags in one trip. Um, and, I, you, know, I, you know, you ever do that? You grab all the bags. You don't even know how you're going to open the door. And so you just you kind of like close the, the, the trunk with your elbow. And then you kind of doing like this crazy thing to get your. Anyway, so I but, oh, get all the stuff on the counter. And um, and and so then my wife says, um, she says, Bob, which um, which bag is the are the vitamins in? And I say, uh, hey, can you hand me my keys? Um, and she's like, why? And I say, I have to go back to Publix for a minute. And she says, you forgot the vitamins. That's the only thing I sent you to get. She said, you bought four boxes of cereal. And, and, I, and I said, listen, number one, that cereal was on sale. So you're welcome. Number two, I don't really know what happened. I just got to go back. So, um, but I don't know if that's ever happened to you or some variation of that where you've got a very clear mission, vision, what you're supposed to accomplish, and then somehow you end up not doing the very thing that you purposed in your heart and in your mind that you were going to do. It didn't happen to me a lot when I was younger. I think this is part of going crazy uh, when you get older. But uh, the, the, the key is this, and this is the thing that happens to all of us. All of us have the propensity to drift. We all have this ability to get distracted from the thing that's important and just kind of drift into something else. And listen, this doesn't even just happen with things that we would consider unimportant. This happens to things that we would say are radically important. And listen, that's just the danger of drifting. Where we can be so gung-ho, so committed to do something, and yet over the course of time we just start off one degree, two degrees off, and that trajectory of one or two degrees off next takes us to a place that we never thought we'd go. 
That's why the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. It's on the screen and in your outline. It says this, So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. Now, uh, if I can ask this, how many of you have been to, for this? Uh, you started with us with the Nehemiah series. You're, you're here. You've been, hey, that's awesome. Look at that. Awesome. Um, I'm glad you're here. Those of you that are just here now, um, you're getting the last 20 minutes of the movie. So I apologize for that, and uh, I would encourage you to go back. It's really a great story, but you're going to hear just like what happened at the very end and uh, kind of miss like everything leading up to it. But the scene is this. Nehemiah has gone to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, which had been destroyed, and he does it. And then after they had rebuilt the wall, um, picturing that the city was now rebuilt, they went and did the harder work, which was rebuilding their own lives and rebuilding their relationship with God. And what happened is that the people... Um, have recommitted themselves, they've dedicated themselves to God, they've confessed their sins, and Pastor John did a great job last week talking about that, about beginning again and, and uh, renewing that, that relationship with God. And it was a special moment in their history where God had given them a second chance and another, another time, another moment to just to, to, to walk with Him in the way that He wants them to live. Now what we're going to read in a moment is that Nehemiah has to return to Persia, where he is the king's cupbearer, the assistant to the king. And so he leaves. And what we're going to find is that when he returns back to Jerusalem, he finds the people doing the same things that they did before they had recommitted themselves back to God. And it's like, well, what happened? Listen, what happened is the same thing that happened to them is the same thing that can happen to us. And that is that they didn't set out to disobey God the same way that we don't set out to disobey God. But we just started to drift a little bit at a time. And next thing you know, we end up somewhere way off track. And, and listen, the, one of the dangers of drifting that is just so huge is that sometimes it's in the moments that we've drifted so far that we make really poor choices that we end up having to live with for the rest of our lives. And so the question is, that the, the thing that's really important is, how do we keep from drifting? How do we stay focused, committed, engaged to what God wants us to do? Listen, we, we, we follow the lead of Nehemiah, and he's going to tell the people to do three things in particular. And he's going to be very strong about them doing three things in particular. So I want to I invite you to open with me to Nehemiah chapter 13 as we conclude our series uh, in Nehemiah. The series called Blueprint. We're going to start in verse 1. Here's what he says. On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And it was in it found, written, that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come in, uh, should ever come to the assembly of God because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Now, before this, Eliashib, the priest, having authority over the storehouses in the house of the Lord, was allied with Tobiah. And he had uh, prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offering, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the gatekeepers in the offering for the priests. But during all this, I was not in Jerusalem for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king. And I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. 
And then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms and brought them back into uh, to them, to the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and frankincense. And this is where the section ends. But I want you to turn over, if you would, to verse 23, which there's a kind of a correlating section that I want you to read. And here's what he says in verse 23, same chapter. He says, in those days, I saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah or Hebrew, for, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, you shall not give our daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? And yet among the nations, there was no king like him who was beloved by his God and God made him king over all of Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of Joida, the the son of Eliashab, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat, the, the Horonite. And I, therefore, I drove him out from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus, I cleanse them of everything pagan. And I also assign duties to the priests, the Levites, and each to his service, bringing the wood offering and first fruits at the appointed time. Remember me, O my God. Good. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, it's a long group of texts that we read. But here's the thing that I want to share with you, and that is what are the things that keep us from drifting? Because you see this group of people and they start drifting, but they start drifting in very specific ways that they start this small drift, just one or two, uh, a little bit off course and it ends up being very, very off course. So what are the things? What are the markers? And here's the first one, if you're taking note, and that is be careful of the relationships you let in. Be careful of the relationships you let in. Now, I will admit that this is one of the more bizarre passages in the Bible. Uh, because the last thing that you expect from one of the heroes of the Bible to do is to start, like, you know, ripping people's hair out when they don't do what the Bible says. And that's what he says. Uh, he says, you know, I saw all these guys and they started marrying all these other women that weren't Jewish. And, and, and I love in verse 25, he says, so I contended with them. That is, he pretty much yelled at them. I cursed them. That's. Well, we know what that is. Um, and then I struck some of them, pulled out their hair, and made them, and then he makes them take an oath. And uh, it's an amazing thing. And, cause, and I'll tell you what, I appreciate Nehemiah because sometimes, and I will admit that sometimes I rail on the guys a little bit to be men of God and, and all that. And, um, and so I appreciate it so, because sometimes guys come up to me after like, hey, man, you came on pretty strong. Listen, I'm nothing compared to Nehemiah. You don't do what the Bible says. Nehemiah just starts smacking you around. Right. I just maybe yell at you a little bit. But Nehemiah gets hardcore and, uh, you know, he starts ripping their hair out when when they when they disobey. And, and now here's the thing. But there's two things in particular that just just drove Nehemiah to be completely beside himself over what had happened. The first thing is that the high priest, this guy, Eliashib, he sets up a room for this guy, Tobiah, to live in the temple. Mind you, number one, nobody lived in the temple. Not even the priests. They had their own place. They came in to serve in the temple. He now takes this guy, Tobiah, who was one of the enemies of Nehemiah when they were rebuilding the wall. This is one of the guys who said, oh, if, you, if a fox jumps on that wall, it'll fall over. He tried to kill Nehemiah. He, he sent threats to Nehemiah. He tried to make Nehemiah compromise. He spread lies about Nehemiah. And now this guy has 
um, this guy, Eliashib, uh, Eliashib has, has this guy, Tobiah, living in the temple. And Nehemiah goes literally berserk. And he just starts taking all the guy's stuff. And this is one of the things that I just love. He takes all, he's, it says that I just, I cleansed the place. It means he just starts taking all the stuff and he, and he just threw, he says, I threw all of his stuff out. I mean, it's like a bad breakup. You know, he just takes all the stuff, he's throwing it out, that lamp, woo, out the window, the mattress goes flying, Beyonce in the background singing, everything you own in a box to the left, right? You know, what's up? And, uh, right, and this whole thing, and he's, this whole thing is going on, right? And he's like, you, you can't have this guy living in here. You're, you're letting this relationship in that shouldn't happen. The second thing is, he finds out that the, that the guys have been marrying women who aren't Jewish, women of other nations. Now, please understand, this is not an issue of ethnicity. This is an issue of, of spirituality. You see, every nation had gods that they served, gods that they worshipped. And so, if the guys started uh, marrying women of, of other nations, th- these women were bringing in their foreign gods into the relationship. And those foreign gods in the relationship were now causing the men of Israel to begin to compromise and stumble the standards that God had set for them. Beca- and, and the thing that he, that he remarks to them, to, to the men, is he says, listen, isn't th- throughout his, uh, Jewish history, isn't this what happened? Right? Is, is the great Solomon... The greatest king Israel has ever seen. Wasn't this the very point that caused him to stumble? That the Bible says that, that Solomon loved many foreign wives and that those are the ones that turned his heart away from the Lord his God and he started worshiping and, and burning incense to other gods? He then quotes, um, he mentions a guy by the name of Balaam who was a prophet for hire, essentially. And that this was the very, the very same issue that now when they had the opportunity uh, to... To worship God, they were going into the land that Balaam now taught uh, the, the enemies of Israel to say, here's how you entice them. It's very, very different stories. The story of Balaam in the book of Numbers 22, 23, and 24, and the story of Solomon. But they intersect in this one area, and that is that the foreign women, the, the, those who were of, that worshipped other gods, came in and enticed these men away from God. And I want you to notice the thing that catches Nehemiah's eye, what we read in, in those verses, and that is this. And that is that he says, only half of the children spoke Hebrew. What he notices is the impact that it has on the kids. Because think about it, in a Jewish culture, the worship of God, even to this day, the worship of God is in Hebrew. The prayers are in Hebrew. The scriptures are read in Hebrew, not in English. And so, now what happens? So, all this is in Hebrew. If only half of the kids are speaking Hebrew, understanding Hebrew, reading Hebrew, it means they have not been taught about the God of Israel. And listen, here's the thing that's important for us to understand. The number one factor that causes people to drift is letting the wrong relationships in. And I'm telling you, um, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been uh, pastoring and ministering to people for a long time. And the thing that I see over and over and over again, and I'm, what I'm telling you is the number one thing. I didn't read this out of a book or a magazine. I did not get a quote from USA Today. This is what I have seen and witnessed with my own eyes over now 14 years of, of being in ministry. The number one thing that causes people to drift away from their relationship with God is that they let another relationship in that pulls them away. 
you know, she's doing so well. She's growing. Everything's going great. She's growing in her faith and she's, she's getting close to God. And then, well, I met this guy. And then shipwreck. Man, he's doing so great. He's growing like crazy. He's serving. Man, he's reading the Bible. And then he met this girl and he disappeared. And then he reappeared and his life was in shambles. And I'm telling you, it happens over and over and over again. And that's why we have to recognize that, listen, it's this, this, whole, this whole idea that the relationships that you let in will either draw you closer to God or will cause you to drift. You see, the Bible tells us this in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says that bad company corrupts good character. You see, and, and that's why I, I read this in a book um, years ago, and, and I've kept the, I memorized this quote. I've, I've kept it close to me, and that is this: that you. This is what the author wrote. He said, "You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with." Now, for some of us, you hear that, and you are horrified. And you're like, "Oh no, why?" Because you're like, "Man, these people I hang out with are losers," and I even know it, but I still hang out with them because they call. And, and some of you are like, "Man, that's great," and some of us, most of us, are probably somewhere in between, like. Well, for some of us, that, that part of that, that's good, and part of it, that's not so good. But here's the question. Who are we letting in? Who are we allowing to influence us? Who are these Tobias that we might allow in, thinking that they aren't going to affect us? You know what we find? That this whole story of Tobiah moving into the temple sets the entire tone for the chapter. And we're going to see that it affects how they worship God, how they obey God, because this priest now lets this guy start living in the temple. It now begins to destroy everything in the nation. And, and, and can I just share this with you? Because I, I know, especially this service, uh, there's so many of us, I say us, that are young. I, I used to be young. Um, but there's a lot, I know there's a lot of people that just out of college or you're in college. And can I, can I just, um, can I share this with you? Because there's a lot of us here that are young, a lot of us here that just came to know Jesus, maybe over the last year or two. And um, let me just, if I can just share something with you that um, I think is so important. Um, you may have come to know Jesus over the last year or two, and, and, and you know this to be the case. Your family is not that happy about it. And your family gives you, know, gives you a hard time, especially when the steps that you want to take in your faith um, cause a problem with whatever it is that your family wants to do. And so, well, I'm going to go and do this tonight. Well, you're going to do that that night. Well, we were going to have this family thing that night. Well, when did that happen? Well, once you plan to do something that, you know, you're going to join that small group at your church where you're going to study the Bible. But we were going to have this night where we play Monopoly. And, you know, now you're going to ruin Monopoly night. You know, and, 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 and listen, here's what happens. And listen, if, if we can be real honest, listen, sometimes, and this is where it gets a little touchy, Sometimes you come to know Jesus, you start walking with God, and the people that aren't happy about it are your parents. And it's like, well, now what am I supposed to do? Because the Bible says I'm supposed to honor my parents, and yet my parents want me to do something, or they want me to throttle back my commitment to God. And, and so what am I supposed to do? And, and here's the challenge that we have. The challenge that we have is, well, maybe what I'll do is disobey God for the sake of trying to honor my parents, or trying to please my parents might be a better way to say it. And, here, and, and yet, can I just share this with you? Um, listen to God. Do what God tells you to do. And put God first. Well, you know, but, and, and listen, if you decide to do that, can I, let me just be super honest with you. Will it lead to arguments? Yes. Will things get hostile? Probably. 
Will you be misunderstood? Most likely. But let me also tell you this, and I'm telling you this because I lived it. You know, I came to know Jesus at 19 years old. My, brother, my older brother led me to Christ, and um, I, I, I came back home uh, to a home that was not, you know, gospel-friendly, I guess we might be able to say. And um, so I came home, and, and listen, it, things got so hostile. I, be, I became a Christian at 19. At 20, I decided to get my own apartment. Because things just got, it got so bad because I had family members who were upset that I didn't subscribe to their brand of faith. And um, what I wanted to do in growing in my faith um, was, you know, kind of messing with their plans and, and, and what they, they wanted to do. Now, let me read you a verse. If just if, if that isn't touchy enough, let me read you this passage. Here's what Jesus says. It's a very misunderstood passage. But let me read it to you. He says, now great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, let me just explain this a little bit because the Bible says to honor your parents. Jesus is saying if you want to, come, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to hate your parents. What's that all about? Jesus says that, you've got to hate your parents, but the only thing that we ever see is Jesus respecting his parents. So what's the deal? The key is this, what Jesus is stressing, and Jesus is simply using um, a type of communication and a type of radical contrast that you see throughout the Old Testament um, that, that's just used for, for the sake of emphasis and making a point. Jesus is saying that loyalty to God and love for God is more important than anything else. And what he's talking about more than anything is not letting people become Tobias in your life that derail you from your relationship with God. And if we can be maybe a little bit more honest, you know, um, sometimes what we'll do is that we will compromise our conviction and be disobedient to God simply because we want to please someone else. Listen, can I just tell you, that's a bad strategy. You see, whether it's your parents who tell you, well, this is what you should do with your kids. And then you say, well, that's not really what the Bible says, but well, we'll just do it just to make them happy. Well, once again, who's the parent here? Well, you're the parent to those kids, and you have a mandate by God to train them up in the way they should go, right? And, and now, let me just um, say it this way. When I first became a Christian, um, my family, I noted this, that my family decided that anything that we scheduled for a, like a family thing was going to be on Sunday. We had never scheduled anything before, ever. I didn't even think my family liked each other. And uh, but then we started scheduling all this stuff on Sunday and it was such an important it was like mandatory attendance for me to be there. And um, and listen, here's what I knew. I was a young Christian. I'd only been a Christian for a month or two. And and, and it was like laying the guilt trip on me. And then even though, you know, um, their you know, family members weren't Christian, you know, they're, they're like they knew the one verse about, you know, doesn't the Bible say honor your parents? And it's like, well, it says a lot of other things, too. You don't know any of those. No, you don't know those verses. All right. Well, so you don't get to quote the one, you know, um, and, and, and here's what happened is that they, 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 they made the push, right? And here's what I said. Listen, and this is where I just stood my ground. And um, I was really stubborn in a good way. And I said, you know what? Sunday is the one day that I get to go to a place and hear the guy preach the gospel and teach God's word where I get to take notes and really grow. And I'm not going to sacrifice that for anything else, especially an event that can be moved at will. So it's like we're doing this event in the morning. It could easily be done in the afternoon. Well, you know, birthday parties best happen at 9 a.m. <laughs> yeah, like on other planets, you know. 
Well, but we just want to do it. You know, well, no, here, if you want me to participate, I'm a Christian. I go to church because I want to grow. If you want me to participate, I need to go. It needs to be later in the day. You know what happened? Soon enough, those things moved and they happened later in the day. And listen, and the, and the point of the matter is this. It's not because you want to be difficult. It's not because you want to be stubborn. It's because you've simply said there are certain things that are really important to me and growing in my relationship with God is the most important thing to me and I'm not going to let some Tobiah come into my life and begin to dictate what's important or not important because I let Tobiah in. You know what's going to happen? In a few months, because all of us are prone to wander, all of us are prone to drift, and if I, and if I simply allow it to happen, I will be light years away from where I ultimately want to be. And can I tell you this too? And this is the thing that's so odd, is that those who are not Christian point at Christians and they say, the reason I'm not a Christian is because Christians are hypocrites and they say they one thing and do another. And yet, then when you say, I'm a Christian and I'm really going to live for God, then they say, well, you're just a stick in the mud and you're stubborn and all that. And so it's like, I'm, I'm, either, I'm either a hypocrite or, or now I'm just being stubborn. And, but here, can I, can I tell you this? If you will actually really live it and really walk with God and say, you know what, I'm going to do this Full throttle, 100%. You know what will happen? Even those who don't believe are going to look on and say, hey, I, don't, I, you know, I may not subscribe to the same thing, but I respect it. And that now, now you can become a voice in that person's life. But listen, you cannot allow the Tobias to dictate the terms. And you've got to be careful as to who you let in. There's another thing that happens in these verses. If you look at verse 10, um, here, here's, here's what he says. This is the second thing that takes place. He says, I also realize that the portions for the Levites had not been given to them. And each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back into his field. So I contended with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And, and I gathered them together and set them in their place. And all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And I appointed treasurers over the storehouse, Shemaliah the priest and Zadok the scribe, and of the Levites, uh, Pediah, and next to them was Hanan, the son of Zechor, the son of Madaliah, for they were considered faithful, and their task was to distribute to the brethren. And then Nehemiah, he writes, Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of God. And for its services. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing that's so important. Well, the things that cause us to drift, you've got to be careful the relationships you let in. The second thing is we need to be mindful of our commitment to God. Be mindful of your commitment to God. Because it's very easy to make a commitment to God and then walk away from it. And what will happen is those are the things that will cause us to drift. Because we talked about this over the last couple of weeks, is that we make our commitments and then our commitments will make and shape who we become. Yesterday, um, we were out a little bit in the morning, and my wife, who was 34 weeks pregnant or 35 weeks pregnant, um, wanted to come home and, and, and take a nap for a little bit. And uh, my, it was around time for my son to take a nap, so we came home, and they took a nap, and Mia and I stayed up. And, uh, and I said, uh, hey, we, there's a new episode of Star Wars The Clone Wars, which is the, car the, star the cartoon that they're making. And I said, do you want to watch the cartoon? She said, yeah. And I said, but here's the deal. We have to make a deal. And we shook on it and everything. And I said, listen, we can watch it, but we cannot tell mommy what happens because mommy wants to watch it too. 
So we'll watch it. Then later on, you know, maybe tonight after dinner, we'll watch it with her. And, uh, and so that way, but we can't tell her what happens because it's no fun when you tell somebody what happens before they've seen it. She said, okay. We shook on it. We watched it. It was a great episode. And then they, we woke up from our, uh, they woke up from their nap. And then we went, it was like maybe four o'clock or something. Then we went uh, to Target to pick up some stuff. And um, so we walk out and I'm, get, I'm putting my son Xander in the car seat. Uh, and Mia and Carrie are walking out, and I hear Mia say to my wife, Carrie, Mommy, we watched The Clone Wars, and at the end, Jedi Master Krell dies. And, and like at that moment, I'm like, no. You know, you ever have those, you're like having one of those, you know, slow motion moments, and I'm trying to stop it from happening, and I'm like, Mia, don't do it. We, we, we said we weren't going to do this, right? You can't say anything about what happens. And she's like, oh, Poppy, it's okay. It's not a big deal. She only knows what happens at the end. So I'm like, but that's the most important part. And she's like, but she doesn't know what happens in the beginning. Oh, by the way, Mommy, Captain Rex has to shoot one of the clones right in the beginning. I'm like, no! You just gave the whole thing away. The only thing you didn't tell her about was the commercials. You know, and, and, and I'm like, we committed. We committed, right? And, and, and listen... These people, like in the same way, they had recommitted their lives to God. They said, this is what we're going to do. And once Nehemiah leaves for a little bit, they, they, they stop their giving. They, they, the priests then have to go back into the field. And what happens is, the priests go back into the field because the people had stopped being faithful in their giving. And then the house of God was just like a ghost town. There was nobody there. There's ministry that needed to take place, but there was nobody there to help. And listen, can I tell you this? That one of the benefits of faithful giving is that, that there are ministers available to help us when there's a time of need in our, in our lives. That when we show up here, there are pastors, whether it's myself or somebody else, who's had time to study God's Word so that when we open our mouths to teach, there's something of substance to be heard. Listen, that's not why we give. We give out of obedience to God because we owe Him everything. And, he says, and God says, hey, you give the tithe, the first 10%. We give it back to Him because all of it is His anyway. But one of the benefits of faithful giving is that we is the ministry that we see here week in, week out. And what happens during the week and on the weekend, what happens here and abroad uh, all over the world. And listen, the challenge that can come into our lives. And listen, once again, because we just tend to be a young church and, um, you know, you, maybe you came here and you were in college. And now, you know, you, you graduated from college and you've got, you know, a job and you're doing well. And there's something that happens that's so interesting. And that is when when you have nothing. It's very easy to give. And I know that that sounds very counterintuitive. Like, it shouldn't be when you have a lot that it's easier to give, but it's actually not. When you have nothing to give, you know, whatever 10% of nothing is, isn't that bad. But then God starts blessing you with more, and now it becomes a little bit more difficult. I was having this conversation, and the funny thing is I have this conversation, um, you know, like a couple times a year. And, um, and, and, but this conversation, the last time I had it was probably several months ago. And a guy comes up to me, and he's a great guy, and he says, Pastor Bob, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm having a tough time. And I said, what's up? And he says, you know, when I, I, when I started coming to Calvary, I was in college. I was making like 200 bucks a week, and I was tithing 20 bucks. You know, and I had heard what the Bible says about tithing and giving, and I was giving it. It was no big deal. But see, then I, I got, um, I finished college, and I, I got a job, and I went from making 200 bucks a week to now it's, you know, like more like 2,000 a week. And man, writing that check for 200 bucks seems is a lot more difficult because it just seems like a lot more. And um, and I and I told the guy, I said, listen, the good news is, is that you're not the first person to tell me this. So 
you're not alone. And, and I said, but I have experience with this, and I know exactly what to do. And he says, really, what is it? And I said, I think the only, this is the thing I tell guys when they have this issue. I said, the the best thing for us to do is pray. And he said, okay, let's do that. I said, but we're going to pray specifically. We're going to pray that God reduces your income back down to 200 bucks um, a week. Let's go ahead and pray. Whoa! No, listen, it's okay. Let's pray. No, 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 no. Don't pray for me. Listen, it's okay. It'll just take a minute. And you'll see, God will cut you off at the knees. No problem. Watch, let's do this. No, 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 no. I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to go write a check right now. And don't, but don't pray for me. And I'm like, let's at least pray that God cuts your income in half. It's just somewhere in between, you know? And it, listen, and you know, I'm telling you, it's a funny thing, and we laugh about it. But when you realize that, and, um, and now mind you, the first time I did it, I just prayed for the guy to that. And he, he freaked out, uh, <laughs> as you can imagine. And, uh, but, but, but listen, and you know this, if you've been around here for a while, um, you know that we don't make like a big circus about uh, giving and all that and people like waving around handkerchiefs and saying if you give, you're going to become a millionaire and all that. And, um, you know, and, and instead what we talk about and we talk about giving, we talk about giving as a response. That is a response to the blessing and goodness of God. And, and you know, I mean, when we give, does God promise to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory? Yes, he does. Does God say that he'll bless us if we trust him with our finances? Yes, he does. But listen, the whole purpose of giving really has, has nothing to do with, with money or God trying to raise money. It has everything to do with the heart. And that's why Nehemiah, when he looks at this and he says, people stop giving, it means their heart has drifted. And that's why, um, it, it, you know, in, in Deuteronomy, Moses would write, he would say this, that the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. Because if it starts there, because listen, everybody, you know, lots of people can talk a good game. But it's when we actually take the step and we're faithful to give that we realize that, hey, our heart is here as well. Because Jesus said that where a person's treasure is, there their heart will be also. By the way, as a side note, and I told you I'd share this with you, um, several weeks ago we started something that we're calling Blueprint. Have anybody, how many of you have heard of Blueprint? Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. Wait, save the clap. Save the clap. It's coming. It's coming. Um, we, one of the things that we talked about, um, and two weeks ago was our big commitment Sunday, and like everybody came forward and committed over the next 15 months that they were going to give um, above and beyond their normal giving and sacrifice for the sake of us being able to go from a uh, you know, rented facility to a permanent facility and, and have a place that Calvary, uh, those of us at Calvary can call home. And um, we... we um, we just gave a challenge and said, hey, you know, you pray and you decide what God is leading you to do uh, over the course of, of these 15 months. And we just, I, I have been amazed at how sacrificial people have been. I have also been amazed at how creative people have been and the ideas that people have to say, I'm committing this, but then I'm also, I've got this wacky idea that we think will raise a lot of money as well. And I'm, and I'm thrilled about that as well. And um, now we're about, we are about $8,000 away um, between the savings that we already have and the commitment that people have made uh, to be at, to be committed to people giving half a million dollars over the next 15 months, which I think is absolutely fabulous um, for for us to to take this. And the cool thing about it is this: is that now, if as as everybody does the thing that we've all committed to do, we're going to be at a place where we can now um, 
look at a piece of property and say, hey, we can, we can make an offer on it and we'll be able to actually close on it because we'd have to have the money within the, you know, uh, you know 60 to 90 days to make, that, to make that happen. And this is the thing that's so amazing. And this is the thing that I told um, everyone a couple of weeks ago is the, one of the things that I want you to watch over these 15 months is that the commitment that you make to Blueprint will begin to mold and shape your life. Because the commitments that we, you know, we will make our commitments and then our commitments will make us. It's just the way that it works. And the thing that happens is, is that I, I want to read you a verse that maybe you've heard before. And most of us think that it actually refers to rich people. And it doesn't. And in fact, let me read you the verse and this is what I mean. It's in your notes. It says this in First Timothy 6. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed, or we might say drifted, from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Like I said, a lot of times we look at it and say, yeah, that's just for rich, greedy, rich people. But, you know, there's just as many, if not more, greedy, poor people. And, and, what, and what I mean by that is, what is the thing that he says causes people to drift or stray from the faith? That this love of money. You can love money and not have any. Right? You can love something that you don't have. Uh, or that it's just something that you want to have. Right? Ask any 12-year-old girl if she loves, if she has Bieber fever. Right. She loves them, but she ain't got them. Right. But it's just one of the things that happens is that uh, it's it's right. But the, the issue is this. The issue is, is that they there is that people, if we put our faith in something. And listen, it doesn't matter if you have it or don't have it. If you have a belief that says, if I had more money, that would solve all of my problems. And you are just you're greedily lusting for, for more money. Because And listen, here's what, what he says, that it's the love and pursuit of this above all else that will cause us to drift from the faith. Because Jesus would say it this way, no one can serve two masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. So you can't say, I have faith in God and I have faith in money. You'll, you'll love one or the other. The issue is this, and this is the thing that's important for us to know, and that is that we have to be careful of who we put our trust in. Money is a great servant, but a terrible master. And many people, listen, they waste their entire lives chasing little pieces of green paper with pictures of dead people on it. And it is just the weirdest thing of, uh, that, that we do. And it's, it's, it's an odd way to even look at it, but, but we, we spend our whole lives many times chasing something that doesn't, doesn't even matter. And it just, all it does is cause us to drift from our relationship with God and what God ultimately wants us to do. Well, there's one more thing I want to show you. I want you to look at verse 15 of, uh, of Nehemiah 13. He says this, In those days I saw people in Judah treading the wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre also dwelt there who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. And then I contended with them, with the nobles of Judah, and I said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and our city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And so it was at the, at the gates of Jerusalem as it was beginning to dark before the Sabbath that I commanded the gates to be shut and I charged that they be not open until after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that 
no burden would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and sellers and uh, sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice, and I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so, I will lay hands on you. And from that time, they came no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go, sanct- uh, go and guard the gates and to sanctify the Sabbath day. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, uh, the third thing is this, to keep from drifting, and that is that you have to be aware of the impact of your actions. That all of our actions have an impact and are leading us one way or another. Now, let me kind of um, explain it this way. My kids and I, um, I have a daughter that's almost five, and, I, and my son is, is almost two and a half, and uh, my kids love to wrestle with me. Now, truth be told, they don't really like to wrestle with me as much as they like to hurt me. And uh, because what they really find hilarious is when I wince in pain from one of their crushing blows. Um, so, like my son, who weighs less than 30 pounds, he likes to, I'll lay on the couch and he'll stand on my chest and then he will jump in the air and pick his knees up and then just kind of drop with his knees right into my chest. And I'll, I'll, he'll do that and I'll go, and he'll go, <laughs> he thinks it's hilarious. He can't even, you know, he's like, you know, losing his breath. He's laughing so hard. And then he does it again and again. And again, and, um, and, and I mean, till, and, and I'm in a lot of pain. Well, on Monday, we were wrestling, and Xander um, kind of stands on my stomach. He usually stands on my chest, but he stands on my stomach, and he just jumps up in the air, and he comes down. Unfortunately, he didn't land on my stomach. He landed a little south of there. Um, and uh, so he didn't need me really in the chest. Uh, it was more in the, as we call it at our house, the tenders, um, which is what we call it at our, at our house. And um, and I yelled like a guy who's just been shot. And I was, you know, I mean, I just like screamed in pain to the point where Mia jumps off from from wrestling with me, runs into the kitchen where Carrie is is cooking dinner, and she says, "Mommy, we need Elmo." And uh, at our house, we have um, this uh, this frozen um, like little like cold pack. In the, it's, it's Elmo. It's like you know, it's got a picture of Elmo. And so whenever somebody's hurt, whenever somebody's hurt, we put Elmo on wherever it is they got hurt. Well, Mia can't find Elmo. And so instead, she's looking around. She can't find Elmo. So she grabs a pack of frozen green beans. She runs to the, the living room and just like this, just goes, here, this will help you. Boom! And I'm like, oh! And, and then, because... You know, I try to push it up. She grabs her both hands and starts pressing down with the green beans on the aforementioned tenders. And, um, and mind you, all the while, my son is grabbing my head and headbutting me the whole time and laughing. And I, at the same time, I'm laughing. And I'm laughing so hard and I'm in pain. It's a very weird sensation. And, uh, that I, I can't even breathe. And, and um, and, and, and I'm like, Carrie, help! And um, Carrie comes over. She's laughing so hard, I think she's going to go into labor. And, uh, and, and then, uh, so, then I'm trying to get Mia off of me. Because she's crushing me. And future kids. And, uh, and, and so, and I'm telling her, like, stop! And she just keeps pushing. She's like, put your hands to the side! I'm trying to help you! And I'm like, but you're not helping me! And, uh... 
Now, the whole thing happens, right? This whole thing goes down. And the whole thing ends after like 20 minutes. And I say, Carrie, how do you do this when I'm not home? Like, how do you, how do, you do this when I'm not home? And she says, oh, I don't let them wrestle with me. She says, you know why you, they do this with you? Because you like it. She's like, because you laugh. And all it does is rile them up. And I said, uh, but why don't they do it with you? I, you know, like, at least I'd feel better if it was like, you know, I found out that you took like a blow to the head or something. But, you know, they come, I'm telling you, like, like I get home and they're like, come on, like, come on, let's wrestle. And they'll, you know, and they go, like, oh, just lay on the couch. And then um, and, and they, there's this character from Star Wars, the Clone Wars, that's called the Zelo Beast. And this like this giant Godzilla-like monster, like, you be the Zelo Beast, and we'll be the Jedi that try to kill you. All right, let's go! Boom! And it's like WWF. And, um, and, and, and the whole thing is, that, the thing that she says to me, she says, listen, this is all your own doing, right? And, and now, I understand the, if, if you're slightly offended by it and the joke is inappropriate, I apologize. Um, but everyone I told the story to had the same reaction, because I've been telling this story all week. And... Uh, so, you know, but, but the, the, the point is this, listen, is that we have the, we, we make these decisions and then we get to the either intended or unintended consequences of our decisions. And we're like, how did I get here? I didn't mean for this to happen. And, and the point of the matter is this, is that when Nehemiah leaves, he comes back and the people have stopped keeping the Sabbath. Now, this was a huge indicator of what was happening in, in their lives. Uh, because the Sabbath was much deeper than just having a day off once a week. The Sabbath was a reminder. It was a reminder that the people had been slaves in Egypt and that God had redeemed them from slavery. In fact, it's the last verse in your outline. It says, uh, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has committed you to observe the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was a reminder of all that God has done for us. And listen, because if we're honest, we, we realize that we don't really think about what God has already done for us. Most of the time, we're thinking about what we want God to do in the future. But we don't spend a lot of time thinking about what God has already done. And the Sabbath was this weekly reminder that says, hey, you used to be a slave in Egypt where you had, there was brutal conditions and no days off and everything was about what you could produce. But now, God has given you freedom. God has given you life. God has given you worth and value. And now every week, there's this day you can take off to remember all that God has done. And for Israel, the Sabbath became the indicator of the spiritual condition of the people. A couple of years ago, I read this article um, in a business magazine about, uh, it's just like the most bizarre subject, but it was about um, Van Halen in their heyday. All right? And uh, so... Now, of course, when I say Van Halen, they're hated. This is when David Lee Roth was a singer, because that's really the only Van Halen that we recognize at this church. Uh, the others are something else, but we don't recognize them at this church. Um, so, <laughs> but one of the things, uh, when they were in their heyday, they had a 53-page writer, or that is uh, a 53-page list of requirements that they had to go into a city and play a concert and do a concert. So, and, and you know, it was like they, the stage needed to be a certain height and depth, and they needed... Um, you know, a certain type of mixing board. They needed certain type of cables, amplifiers. They needed um, 
power, a certain type of power, you know, whether it's, you know, 110 or 220 or whatever, at every certain amount of feet on the stage to make their production work. And then if, in the middle of this, all these lists of all these things that they need, they had this other little provision. And that was um, also in our dressing room, we want a bowl of M&Ms with no brown M&Ms. We want all the brown M&Ms removed and all, you know, all the other ones are fine. But we want all the old brown M&Ms removed. And um, people just thought for years that it's like, oh, that was just them being, you know, just, oh, you know how rock stars are and, and doing all this. But later on, David Lee Roth is interviewed, and they're like, what was up with the M&Ms thing and the rider that you had? And in his, uh, this is what he said. I actually wrote this down, the quote. He said, when, uh, he said, if I went to, if I went backstage and I saw a brown M&M in the bowl, uh, we would tell the, the crew, line check the entire production because guaranteed you're going to have a technical error. And he said that it means that they didn't read the contract. And the whole point of why they would do this thing with the M&Ms is that it was an indicator as to whether they were paying attention and were doing everything to the specifications that they had asked. Now, the, point I, the reason I tell you that story is because the Sabbath becomes the M&Ms of, the, of God's relationship uh, or Israel's relationship with God. Once they began neglecting the Sabbath, they started disobeying everything else. And once they started drifting, listen, they, it was, you know, who knows where it was going to end up. And it was like, and what, what, what had happened? It's like, well, the other, those other nations, they work on the Sabbath and they're making a little extra money and we could get a little more done. And, and what ends up taking place is they start now working on the Sabbath and then they realize how far they've drifted. Now, here's the point. Have you drifted? In fact, maybe you're in the process of drifting. And maybe you're in the process of drifting and you're not even sure how to stop it. Maybe you've drifted to a place and you're saying, yes, I have drifted, but I don't even know how to get back. And, and, and you're looking and you're saying, it's, it's a relationship that I've let in. That's, what, that's part of it. And then, it, you know, if we're real honest, it's like, it just got real easy to start disobeying God. Because there was this one gauge that was that I was real serious about, and, and even that I don't really care about as much as I used to. And it started small, just one degree, two degrees off course. And over the course of time, now you say, oh, I, I thought I'd never do that, and now I find myself doing the thing that I said I'd never do. And um, you're in this state of drifting, and you don't know how to get back. In fact, you're in the state of drifting, and, and, and here's some, some, the lie that we can believe. Is that I've drifted and I want to come back, but the truth of the matter is, is that God's mad at me. And I don't know if he would even take me back if I did come back. Um, can, I, can I tell you this? That here's what the Bible says. It says if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. That's it. If you take a step in his direction, he's willing to meet you there. In fact... Um, if you've ever read the story of the prodigal son in the Gospel of Luke, one of the things that is said that the, this son that goes and he just does all this crazy living and um, you know blows his inheritance and just you know kind of walks away from his family, he kind of he wakes up from the madness, from this he's drifted so far and he wakes up and he says, you know I could go be a servant in my father's house and live better than the way I'm living now. So he goes home and he has this whole speech rehearsed. 
And that is, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me a servant in your house, and that's all I deserve. And the Bible says this, that when the father sees his son coming from afar off, he starts running. He runs, and he finds him, and he hugs him, and he takes his robe off, and he puts his robe on him, and he takes his ring, and he puts the ring on him, signifying the relationship has been restored. And he hugs him, and he says this. He says, my son who was dead is now alive again. My friends, um, God is not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. And you know, if, if you're far from him and you come back, then the only thing that, we can, that, that I can tell you that you're going to experience is the open arms of God embracing you to come back and welcoming you back. Um, because if you want to stop drifting, and maybe you have been drifting, if you want to stop drifting and come back, then maybe this is your moment. And so I'm just going to, as we close, just lead you in a prayer. If you have drifted, if you want to come back, and you can see God begin to do a work in your life and begin to restore that relationship as you start over. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for your goodness, for your grace in our lives, for the fact that you don't just leave us even when we drift. You call to us, you invite us to come back. And so, Lord, for those of us that want to make that decision to come back today, I pray that you'd meet us here. And I pray that you'd set us on a, on a trajectory, on a course that changes us, that turns us into the people that we want to be as we take one step at a time with you towards you. Listen, those of you that are here, that you're ready, that you want to take a step in God's direction and you want to come back, I just want you to repeat this prayer out loud and just say, Dear God, I want to come back. I thank you for Jesus who died for me. I embrace that truth. And I embrace you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for accepting me. No matter what. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.